Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Delighted to have you with me as always. Um, let's see, we are um, we have a caller already. Callers always take priority on this program. If you want to be a caller, the call-in number is 347-994-2981 and we don't have anything in particular planned for the day except for me answering the emails that tend to accumulate, which is a wonderful thing. But callers always take priority, and we have two callers already. I'm going to go with the caller who has been holding for the longest time, and then we will um, go to our other caller. But from area code 416, how are you today? Fine. How are you? I am doing well. Excellent. What's on your mind? Um, I was calling about to share a success story. About we uh, always how... take success stories on this program. We'll take <laughs> any kind of story, but uh, success stories are among our favorite kind. Go ahead. Uh, so we've had a, my son is in grade three. He's the youngest. And of by four the way, children. don't use any names or identifying information. But go ahead. I always like to give that warning before people start. But now I've said it, so you can go. Okay, um, I'll try not to slip up. Uh, so we we were having some trouble with homework, and uh, so yesterday I asked him a few times, you know, I want to have a plan B about the homework, and uh, when do you think we can do that? And I asked him a few times during the day, but he, he was always had something better to do and was putting it off. So then at bedtime, I uh, he came up on his own and uh I said, remember, I said we wanted to have a plan B about the homework. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm ready now. And I said, so you seems like you're having trouble with the homework. What's up? So he's um, he has just, he, he's having trouble writing. So he just said, I just can't do it. It's, it's too hard. And I said, and I, re- I remember how many times that you've said, well, what part of it is too hard? So I said, oh, and, and what part of it is too hard? And he said, the writing is too hard, and uh, so I said the writing is too hard for for you. And he said, "Yes." And 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 I was struck by how many times I was tempted to go, "Well, you know, I can scribe for you," or like just to go straight to solutions. And I had to, <clears throat> excuse me, really rein myself back and and uh, and keep drilling to really get to what the problem was. And as we were talking he became he was lying on my lap and and uh and he just became more and more kind of infantile and and uh like more of a baby voice the more he was and i just realized what a vulnerable vulnerable space that he, that you're in when you're doing that like him as the recipient and or participant i guess and uh so i so we went through the steps and uh came up with you know solutions and then I said well we'd have to ask his teacher and so I was right, made notes in the iPad 
and I was reading what I wrote as we went along and I and then he sort of changed kind of the order of things and and but he would he he even stopped talking and and was just nodding and and shaking his head and and the other thing that happened was at one point he started and he and he said never mind and I said would it help if I waited while you organize your thoughts so that you can say it I can wait and so I nice. gave him space to to start again and try it because he gets very defeated when he's trying to talk and he can't organize what he wants to say and uh and I thought just the the relationship building and and that's what I found with the plan B from the very beginning is just being open to what they're going to say is so relationship building and that's my and so I shared it with the teacher and the teacher thought it was a great plan and we're very lucky we have an understanding teacher who I've already taken to the ALSUB and 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 started planting that seed there with her. So that's my story. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for for doing what you do. <laughs> um, you know, I can't think of anything else that I would do, so it seems to make sense. Yeah, I and and you sharing it, your story. Go ahead. What we thank you. Um, that we can come back to. Like a, a little bit in my head, I thought the teacher's going to say he can do this. He doesn't need you to describe it for him. But it became obvious as we're talking, and he became more regressed that it is too much. And whether he can do it at school is irrelevant. He can't do it at home. I can drive with noise in the car, but not during a snowstorm. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He can do it when he can do it. At home right now. Yeah, if he it's during a snowstorm, I don't want anybody talking to me when I'm in the car. i got to concentrate. i got to concentrate. And, I, and I, I, he's the youngest of four kids. It's a crazy place here. Yeah. yeah this is a crazy place. <laughs> There's a lot um, going on. I, I love the strategy, and there are kids who I'm not, a very, I'm not very oriented toward visual aids. I know there are people who use the model, who um, have uh, keep notes um, like on a whiteboard um, because otherwise people lose track. And so there are many kids for whom the visual or for whom some, having somebody write down the whole thing is extremely helpful. Um, you know, when I'm helping a family, um, a parent or parents and a child do plan B, um, I'm the one who's frequently keeping track. Uh, and sometimes I have to write things down because unsolved problems can actually get quite complex, especially if they've been around for a while. Uh, even if they haven't been around for a while, there are often many considerations and concerns that are coming into play that need to be addressed with an unsolved problem. And it's very easy to lose track of them all. Um, I love what you did. And yes, it's not unusual necessarily for folks at school to say that a kid can do it. Um, sometimes they're right. Often they're not. Now, but one other interesting that, point. That didn't happen either. Right. <laughs> that yeah, she good. was totally good. receptive. The other good. thing about writing it down, I'll just say quickly, is that he changed it when I was writing it down. So as I was writing it, so first we talked about it, and then I was writing it. And as I wrote it, he changed it. So it was going to be, I scribed for him two days, and then one day we do it, he, I put my hand over his. 
And then as I wrote it down and I was reading what I wrote, he changed it to say we would do alternate. One day I would scribe, one day he would. So it kind of gave him time. And then when I was reading what I wrote, he could hear what he had decided and decide something else. Very cool. Um, And, you know, not especially unusual in human affairs for people to be talking about a problem, come up with an initial solution, uh, good for them to take the time to ponder the solution. I mean, all of this is supposed to be going on in the invitation step rather than signing off on the first solution that ends up on the table, irrespective of who put it there. We are slowing it down a little, pondering what the solution would look like, whether it truly and logically addresses the concerns of both parties. That's criteria number one. Whether it's realistic that both parties are going to actually be able to do what they're agreeing to do, that's criteria number two for a good solution. And it's not unusual uh, for humans, once they start contemplating what the solution is going to look like and whether it meets those two criteria, for humans to change their minds um, or give it more thought and revise it and come up with something different. So that you are allowing your son that luxury is a beautiful thing. Thank you. It's Thank uh, you for it, calling in. Writing helped me organize my thoughts for sure. Writing, and, and I think him too, I can see that that the the second pass at at uh, for clarity the second pass for clarity well and i can tell you as an author the the primary way in which my model has evolved is when i'm writing a book i mean it, it evolves during my workshops as i'm thinking about a different way to say things or when a new thought comes into my head about a way to say it that i've never said it before but the the primary way in which the model has evolved was the writing of the explosive child, the writing of treating explosive kids, and the writing of lost at school. So apparently there is something to this writing business. Um, I'm all for writing. There you go. Thanks okay. for calling in. Thank you. Take You're care. welcome. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. You too. Cool, eh? Shall we move on to caller number two? From area code 620, that's the only identifying information we give uh, for our callers. Uh, hello, area code 620, how are you? Fine, thank you, good morning. How does it feel to be identified purely by your area code? Kind of cool. There you go. Um, tell us what's on your mind today. Well, this is a follow-up call, and similar to the first caller, a little bit of a success story. I've cool. called a good number of times regarding my 10-year-old son who's rather explosive. And um, my my husband and I have been working on Plan B since last November and uh, got really into following the model um, in March, this past March. So we've been uh, living this uh, pretty much day in, day out now for several months. And we have good days and we have bad days. And um, the success part of the story comes from that we're noticing that the good days are becoming more and more. So that's good. <laughs> um, my question today has to do with our struggle as parents um, 
in finding alternatives to punishment. So when the when the explosion does turn um, into a physical aggression, which my 10-year-old does still struggle with occasionally, where he'll come at us with a, a slap or a pinch or something like that, um, beyond making amends, um, my husband really struggles with this too, an alternative to punishment, having, having a, a list of things that we can do that help him to um, accept the outcome of what he's done without making it a now you will suffer the consequences sort of tone. And we just wanted to know what some of your thoughts are on that. Well, um, it's an interesting issue. Um, Let's go back to the very beginning of what you said. Yes. There are good days and bad days. I might rephrase that. You might not love my rephrasing, but I'd probably put it that there are solved problems and unsolved problems. That's how I'd prefer to put it anyways. Solved problems don't set in motion challenging episodes. Unsolved problems do. So what you might be describing, what you're calling a bad day, I might paraphrase, and you'll have to tell me if this is accurate, as a day in which many unsolved problems came up, and at least on some of them, your son reacted the way you became accustomed to him acting before you started implementing this model. Is that a fair paraphrase? Very much so. Good. So um, I'm going to run with my paraphrase. There are solved problems and there are unsolved problems. What constitutes a bad day is um, that problems that haven't been solved yet came up. Now, here's my next pass at it. A little bit of what you were saying suggested that they are popping up And so I just want to make the point, you may be doing this already, that you should always have two or three unsolved problems that you are working on proactively. Because over time, if you're working on two or three on an ongoing basis proactively, then eventually the number of solved problems is going to greatly outnumber the number of unsolved problems. And then you'll continue having even more good days than bad days. If if my paraphrase is accurate and a good day is a day on which very few problems that haven't been solved yet came up, then the best way to reduce, to, to increase the number of solved problems is to always be working proactively on two or three. So that's an important point too, because um, it sounds like, well, you'd be the better judge. Are the ones that are coming up ones that you are have identified as high priorities and you all are working on them? It's just that they came up because they're not you haven't yet come to a solution on them, or are they just coming up because you're not working on them at all yet? No, it's there's the primary one that we're working on when when we put these into writing for ourselves using the, you know, the PDF that you have on your site, 
Um, they, they're all basically, the unsolved problems all, all make him look the same way in which he gets physically aggressive. And so yeah. the, the primary one um, has to do with him having this feeling of not being in control. So it, if he loses a game or isn't first in line or something like that, that's, that's the unsolved problem. That's kind of our top priority. It has to do with, with things not immediately going his way. Um, so we, we're trying to whittle that down to manageable Good. bite and, and really identify what, what the environment is that outstrips his skills. And so well, and um, I, I would put it a slightly different way because you named a few. Um, I, I, the, the main thing that that is shouting out at me for is what we would call splitting, splitting the unsolved problem. Um, and him not feeling in control would be a very clumped unsolved problem and would right. probably be fairly impossible to work on. You'd want to identify the specific unsolved problems that fall under that. And you named a few, not winning a game. I don't remember the other one. Those would be your unsolved problems. Correct. Good? Keep going. Yes, Sorry that, and that's that's where we're that's where we are at, and we work kind of at that um, grassroots level, if you will, um, as we know that he's headed towards a game situation. We remind him of what the solution is that we have kind of on the table from our last Plan B conversation, and um, and, and a lot of times it is taking hold. You know, and so, um, but there's that occasional time where he just reverts back. Got it. And, and then we just, and I actually have gotten to the point where I, um, when we are in a plan B situation and we're deciding on a solution where I just really honestly say to him, um, you know, if mom and dad start noticing that the solution isn't taking care of the situation, then we're going to, come back to the drawing board and we'll talk some new ideas and we'll try again. Great. You know, with a perfectionist child, I think the modeling that has to happen on our end is it's okay for things to go wrong. We try and try again. A mistake is okay. That's great even for that's great even for a kid who's not perfectionistic. Um yeah. to to know that if a solution doesn't stand the test of time, it's probably because we missed something, um, and it's okay to consider other solutions. Um, now, shall we take up the question that you actually called about, and that is, yes. what's the replacement for punishment? What, what's I'm all your, good. I'm all good with the making amends thing, and I think there's a lot of growth that happens for both my kids, as well as for my husband and I, when we really honestly have a conversation about, well, how, what can we do to make this right? Mm-hmm. You know, but, um, you know, coming from uh, having been raised with punishment, and especially now that my child is headed towards the tween years, and mm-hmm. he's reading, you know, stories and books about kids getting grounded and, you know, seeing on movies and TV shows, electronics getting taken away and all this. And we've been he's been asking us 
about it. Um, you know, so I I would just love to have some ideas for alternatives to punishment beyond making amends. And I don't know that I have much for you because I'm not very oriented, actually not very oriented at all, toward um, the things that punishment accomplishes. What? Right. Let's think about what punishment does. Punishment lets the child know that you disapprove of his actions. I think that there are ways to let a child know that you disapprove of his actions um, besides punishment. And I don't think punishment adds value or potency to the letting the child know you disapprove of his actions mix. I don't don't think it adds value. In fact, I think that sometimes it just gets the kid madder and the message we disapprove of your actions gets lost because he's focused on the punishment you administered, not on what he did that you disapprove of. So that's one thing punishment does. Yeah, and for our son, it gives him permission, for our son, it gives him permission if somebody else makes him mad to say, well, I'm going to punish you. Well, um, if if what you're saying is that kids who get punished tend to punish back, uh, you got something there. Yeah. Let's think of what else punishment does. Punishment... um, gives the child the incentive not to do what he did that you disapprove of again. But if lagging skills and demands for those skills are what set in motion him doing him responding in a way that was maladaptive, the developmental psychopathology people call it a an adaptational failure. <laughs> when a child is exhibiting challenging behavior, that's a failure to, and I don't like the word failure, but I, I like it better than some other things we could say about what it is. That's just the child having difficulty adapting to the demands that are being placed upon him at that moment due to the fact that he's lacking the skills to respond more adaptively. So now I have to be convinced that punishment would be a good idea because it would either teach the child those skills that he's lacking and or solve whatever specific problem, for example, losing at a game, that caused him to behave in a way that we disapprove of in the first place. And now we've totally lost me on punishment because punishment doesn't do that. Punishment gives a child the incentive to behave in a different way than the way he did that we disapproved of, but punishment doesn't give the child, and by the way, he knows that already. Your son already knows about the things he does that you disapprove of. He knows. Oh, hugely. So you don't don't need punishment for that, and I don't think he needs more motivation not to do those things. I think and this is, of course, my replacement for punishment, I think he needs us to help him solve the problems that are causing him to behave in the ways that we disapprove of. And if we solve them in a certain way, collaboratively and proactively, I think he's going to learn the skills he's lacking. And those are things punishment doesn't do. So the the bad news and the good news is that I don't have an alternative alternative to punishment that does the same things punishment does because 
I'm not all that enthusiastic about the things punishment does, and I have significant concerns about all the things that punishment doesn't do, doesn't help us accomplish. So uh, making amends is one thing that people can do after the fact, but the best thing that your son acting in a way that you disapprove of, the best thing about that is it tells you you've still got some problems to solve, and that's the best replacement for punishment, solving problems collaboratively and proactively. Here's the good news. Because you're trying to use the model, I don't think that your son is at great risk for you overusing punishment. A lot of kids are at great risk for that because a lot of caregivers don't have – parents, teachers, staff members in facilities – don't have any other tools in their toolbox besides punishment and reward. You do. So I know that you're going to be careful about the use of punishment. But there you have my long-winded answer. The best thing to do instead of punishment is solve the problems collaboratively and proactively that set in motion the behavior that you are inclined to punish your son for. I think what you've just given me is what to say you know if when when it happens again when we are in a situation where um you know he has an explosion and looks badly doing it i i'd like i, I just wrote this down when you were saying i i like using the language with him you know I'll, I'll i'll let him know about my disappointment and um we use now the the colors of the zones you know so say i'm, okay, I'm yeah, blue yeah. because i'm disappointed um yeah. and then I can just say I have to go into my toolbox because I need to try to get back to green so that I can think clearly and then and then I can turn around and say something like now I have the opportunity to help you solve let's let's find a time to solve this problem and sit down and work yeah. this out because he is he, you know he does have this kind of engineering mind and loves to build things and put tracks together that don't seem like they're going to make any sense so I, we can kind of go on with that, and I, 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 he really looks to our language when he's on the cusp. After, because he feels so badly um, on the flip side of having just completely let go. Um, and his first words to us are, "How? What's my punishment?" What, because for so many years we weren't following this model. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's just kind of ready um, to kind of have the wrath of us. And um, so I think if we are charged with words saying now, we get to sit together and solve the problem and work to solve the problem and work to find another solution and, you know, just model that patience because ultimately that's what I'd love for him to take away from the next few years is when things go wrong, what do I need to do to just kind of get myself together and be patient with myself? And just be, I love it, just be sure, as, as, as one of our listeners is pointing out to me by email here, um, just be sure that you have two or three that you're working on proactively and that you've prioritized and that you're not primarily trying to solve problems in the heat of the moment. Because that's, you know, it's the heat of the moment where those zones come in and we're having a child identify where he's at um, 
those are more heat of that's a more of a heat of the moment intervention and it sounds like you're not right. done being out of the heat of the moment yet if anything just because sometimes a solution that you agreed to didn't quite get the job done but and so you you're finding out that it's not working um the, the, your key word here is proactive that's the most important part yeah proactive and following up when we do go plan c that's that's where we stumble a little bit when we go plan c following up you know let let it go for now <laughs> it's that for now part and then us just taking initiative and, and going back and being really proactive with it so we are very much Good. in the trenches still working on this but we do see you know glimpses of of problems getting solved so it's um it's a I think it's a win win even though it's not perfect. And if you want to, uh if you want to call in so that I might be able to help you turn glimpses of problems being solved into um more than just a glimpse, but the problem is now solved. If you want to call in another time with a problem that you felt like you had a solution but the solution didn't fly. I'm happy to listen to the concerns of both parties and for us to give some thought to, so how come that solution isn't flying? Okay. To sort of fine-tune what you're doing in Plan B so that the solutions aren't just glimpses, they're the real McCoy. Okay. We actually have a proactive one coming up for this very weekend. So in a week, I should know whether our solution has held or not. <laughs> Call in any time. You know the number. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks oh, you know, just quickly as a as a as a final comment, um, my son has been analyzing characters in stories that he's reading, um, and reading comprehension is one of his his uh, trouble spots in school. Uh, he is coming home talking about characters where he sees their parents, and he says, "Oh, they went so plan A on this on this oh, other child." Yeah, so he's you know I, he's really identifying with kids and noticing in stories where parents could have would have should have you know listened to the children in a different way. So he's very observant. <laughs> he, very observant, and uh, you know it suggests that he has bought in. We just may need to make sure that the solutions we come up with, we need to make sure that enough of them are getting the job done so that he continues to have faith in the process. But there's no question, uh, and I've had this bad for a long time, once you start putting these lenses on, you notice just how much plan A is going on out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for calling. Thank you for your time. Bye. You bet. Bye-bye. Nice to hear some success stories, as always. We have a little bit more time here left. Um, hold on. We have an email from a listener. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, people are always invited to call back into the program, of course. Uh, let's move on to some of the uh, emailers who've been waiting, some of them for quite some time, for their emails to be responded to. Here we go. This is unfortunately back from late July, but we're catching up. Hi, Dr. Green. We found out about you from our marriage counselor. 
she suggested we look into your model to parent our 10-year-old boy. Um, we have a large blended family. Um, different kids from both marriages live with us on different days of the week. I'm not reading the email here precisely just because I want to make sure that it stays um, so that the folks aren't identifiable. Uh, my husband and I have a two-year-old together. Two of his children are diagnosed with ADHD. His son has the additional diagnosis of ODD, that's oppositional defiant disorder. Over the past few years, we've employed a huge variety of techniques to try to get a handle on what makes him tick and also try to establish his respect for me as a member of the family as well as any person in authority. He has an IEP at school, too, and was found through testing to have a slow processing speed and difficulty focusing on his work, so now we know what some of his lagging skills are. That's my editorial comment. Thus, he receives special help the majority of the school day. Wow, that's impressive and noteworthy. Teachers also report he has trouble following directions and is often argumentative. Argumentative, what often happens when kids have trouble following directions. I'm, I'm, I'm editorializing here again um, off script, well, on script, but off of the email. Um, unfortunately, the adults tend to focus on the argumentative part rather than the directions the child is having difficulty following. Back to the letter, to the email. He has zero friends and severely lacks social skills, even around adults. Okay, so there's a very brief background. We've yet to do Plan B as I'm gathering all the information I can before going down that path. I do have faith it is the correct way to go with him as Plan A has never worked and only increased problems. So my biggest question here is, what to do when the child doesn't think there is a problem and or denies any involvement. This is the type of kid you can watch doing something with your own eyes. Then, even if you say you're not in trouble, I'm just curious why you did that, can we talk about it? The response given is, well, I didn't do it. Zero ownership. The second part of my question, the few times we have gotten him to open up over something that's bothering him, he turns and twists the conversation into a million other things. He'll bring up things completely unrelated and complain about everything under the sun. Do you address this directly? Like I thought we were talking about X and you launched into Z. The conversation could last forever and, we're still, and still not get anywhere. All of his therapists see him doing this and are often catching him in fabricating stories. All right. Let's answer the, some questions here. All right. Let's let's go in order, I think, might be the best way to go here. This is the type of kid you can watch doing something with your own eyes, and then even if you say you're not in trouble, I'm just curious why you did that, can we talk about it? The response given is, well, I didn't do it. All right. Um, we don't care if he did it. We don't care if he did it that time, because we really don't want to get into a debate over what we saw versus what he thinks he did. We don't want to approach him about solving the problem at that level of analysis, whether he did it or not, whether you saw it or not. That's not where we want to enter trying to solve the problem collaboratively and proactively. We want to enter not based on what he did and whether he did or didn't do it, but what problem, unsolved problem, gave rise to him doing it or not doing it? 
So, uh, I saw you hit your brother is something we saw him doing. And if he says, no, I didn't, then now we are having a debate about whether he hit his brother. And that is not something we want to have a debate about. We want to gather information about the problem that set in motion the hitting his brother behavior. And if that's difficulty sharing toys to sharing Legos when we're playing together, that he'll talk about. If it's throwing the remote control across the room because we are insisting that he come in for dinner when he's watching TV, I suppose we could talk to him about whether he threw the remote or not, but that's his behavior, and we'd rather talk to him about the problem that gave rise to the behavior. We don't want to have a debate. We want to gather information about the problem, difficulty coming into dinner when watching TV. We don't want to get into did it happen or didn't it. First of all, that's a dead end. Secondly, the behavior is the least important part anyways. We want to focus on the problem that's giving rise to the behavior and in my experience, that almost always helps us stay out of a debate. And that's frequently something that a kid is perfectly willing to talk about. That's answer to question number one. Now, question number two, the few times we've gotten him to open up over something that is bothering him, he turns and twists the conversation into a million other things. I've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, that, rather than seeing that as um, something he's doing on purpose, I would prefer to see that as an example of what is going on up there in his head when he's trying to talk about something. Now, you've told us a little bit about him. Uh, let's see, what did you tell us about him? He uh, has trouble following directions. He has no friends. He's lacking social skills. He is diagnosed with ADHD. Um, I don't know. Any of those could explain why, when he is faced with something that we would like him to think about, he can think about it, but then moves on to something else, and then something else, and then something else. Now, I want to, the subject line in your email is 10-year-old ADHD ODD child lies about, denies any problem. I'm uh, not hearing lying in here. I'm potentially hearing, of course I don't know him, I've never evaluated him, so this is just me wondering out loud about what my model would have to say about your son. I wonder if the way his brain seems to be working when he's trying to provide us with information about an unsolved problem, I wonder if the way he's responding is telling us something about how his brain works whenever He's 
trying to think about something. I don't know if that's the case. I wonder if the testing that you've had done, if you've had testing done, if he's getting special education for most of the day, I'm betting you've had testing done. I wonder if it tells us anything about why he moves from topic to topic to topic in a rather disorganized fashion. I don't know. But I wouldn't view what he's doing as volitional, not that you are, but I wouldn't. I'd view it as informational. Now, at a purely practical as a purely practical matter, what do you do when a kid is bouncing from one thing to another? Well, you've got two possibilities here, and it's a judgment call. First, you can listen to the bouncing, believing that you're still getting good information and that you may be hearing about something that's more important to talk about than what you started with. That's a possibility. But if in all of that bouncing around from one thing to another, um, you don't feel like you're getting more important information, you're not hearing about something that you'd rather be talking with him about, then you can bring him back to what, as you as you said, um, but I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't say it exactly the way you did. I thought we were talking about X and you launched into Z. I might be a little bit uh, softer than that and simply say, I wonder if we can go back to what we were talking about in the beginning. And you can also, during Plan B, sometimes say, well, now, you know, I would, I would very much like to hear about that, but I would like us to finish me understanding what we started talking about in the first place. Another way to put it. Now, you've got one more point in your email. This is sort of question number three. All of his therapists see him doing this and are often catching him in fabricating stories. Now, I don't know. Is him bouncing from topic to topic fabrication or disorganization? Um, we'd want to be careful with that one because if somebody's disorganized and they're thinking, and I don't know that he is, by the way, don't know him, but if somebody's disorganized and they're thinking, and that is reflected in the fact that they're bouncing from one topic to another, the last thing we'd want to do is say that that's an example of fabricating. That's the last thing we'd want to do because, number one, then we would respond to him as if he's fabricating and number two, we'd never understand that what's really going on is that he's a very disorganized thinker who's having trouble putting his thoughts together and therefore is bouncing from one thing to another. So maybe the evaluation that you had done would um, provide information about that. Maybe not, but feels to me like that's something you'd want to have clarified by somebody in your neck of the woods. Um, a message from one of our listeners by email saying, you want to rethink your child and make sure you have the right lenses on. The lenses of kids do well if they can. Um, I must say, whenever I'm told that a child is fabricating, lying, I must say the very vast majority of the time that I'm told that, I find that there was a better explanation for what was really going on with the child. Now, 
Maybe you'll find the exact same thing. I don't know. Now, I had three other emails lined up to answer today, respond to today. But, um, well, that was a very good one, so I thank you for writing. But believe it or not, and it's always hard to believe, we're out of time for the day. Keep those emails coming. Keep those calls coming. Um, Boy, do I get a lot of feedback from people telling me that they're not only listening to the programs but finding them to be extremely helpful. That is always music to my ears. The reason we do this is because uh, we want to help people understand and help behaviorally challenging kids in ways that are more compassionate and more effective and to do it whenever possible for free. It's going to do it for today. Thanks for joining in. We'll be back next week. Take care.